welcome to the Checkered to Green podcast with your hosts, David Maudy and Elliot Tardiff. Hello, race fans, and welcome to another episode of the From Checkered to Green podcast. Hope you guys had a wonderful 4th of July weekend. It was plenty of racing action all across the board as we are off and running now with auto racing. And I'm David Maudy. My co-host is Elliot Tardiff and our producer, who is like a Timex clock who keeps us ticking here, is Ryan Kolpak. Gentlemen, I had a great 4th of July did a pulled pork on the smoker with, for the first time, which came out very well. And it was a really good fourth for me. How are you guys doing, and how is your fourth? I can tell that, uh, that that pulled pork was really good. I could smell it all the way down here. <coughs> the winds uh, were good that day. It was. Uh, my fourth was pretty good. It was quiet um, and uh, enjoyed it uh, here at home with my wonderful wife. Um, we are expecting um, our first child not too long from now. So um, we uh, hung in and watched the, uh, the Macy's uh, fireworks on TV and um, uh, just enjoyed, uh, just enjoyed the weekend and uh, you know, nesting is in full effect. So, um, so we were doing a lot of work there as well, but uh, beyond that, yeah. Um, uh, you know, a, a typically warm, and humid time of it down here. And, and, uh, you know, it seems like that's also been a part of uh, the NASCAR story too, but um, we'll get into more of that here in a minute, but uh, yeah, just a, uh, a, a nice, quiet, enjoyable fourth. Um, and uh, the rest of the, uh, the neighborhood around us, uh, uh, they provided us, even though they didn't have any uh, formal fireworks uh, shows here in town, uh, a lot of other people around us did. So we still had fun watching that anyway. Ryan, how how was your fourth? I heard it was a quite interesting. Oh, we had a great time for the fourth year. We had our customary Fourth uh, of July cookout and general shindig here. Delicious food and lots of it. All manner of fun, yard games, and getting to hang out with friends and family that I haven't seen in months, which was a great time. And around here, we were breaking a lot of records temperature-wise. It was very very hot almost 90 degrees on the 4th of july in buffalo new york fortunately we had a nice cross breeze which kept the humidity to a more manageable level and at night pretty much you could look in any direction and you would see the sky just lit up with fireworks really made me proud very good we have a great episode on hand where like we said we're off and running with auto racing again nascar going we had the some great racing they're racing yep. tonight as we're recording kentucky the xfinity series yep race two of a double header yeah last yep. night was really good last night was interesting um you know it's it's got the feel of a one groove racetrack and and uh you know, all the attention to try and get to that one groove. And so with that, a lot of contact, a lot of controversy, uh, a lot of beat up race cars still finishing pretty well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we'll get to some more of that here in a little bit. Well, speaking of NASCAR, so we've got a 
So we got a great program on hand here. Elliot, why don't we get into the checkered segment and talk a little about NASCAR and what's happened recently? Very good. Um, yeah, there's a, a lot that's gone on um, in in recent weeks uh, since our our third episode. Um, so since then, uh, we have raced at Homestead, Talladega, um, a doubleheader at Pocono, and then this last weekend, the Brickyard Big Machine Hand Sanitizer 400 from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway um, in Indiana. And there's some, uh, some, a few main themes that have come out of, uh, of these last few weeks. And that is that uh, the battle for the most race wins and indeed probably for the championship appears to be coming down to two teams, the four team of Kevin Harvick and the 11 team of Denny Hamlin. Both of them are clearly on another level with their preparation, with their performance, um, and with their speed on the racetrack. Um, and the strategies that uh, their, their crew chiefs are employing, Rodney Childers for Kevin Harvick and Chris Gabehart for Denny Hamlin, um, they, have, they have both of those teams just on a different level right now. And they're, they're uh, preparing and executing better than anybody else in the series, bar none right now. Talladega, you know, that was, um, you know, kind of a crapshoot uh, with restrictor plate racing as it often is. Um, but with that said, uh, Ryan Blaney has made himself known as the next Brad Keselowski, um, the next great plate racer, um, winning again at Talladega, um, this time shouldering uh, Eric Jones and John Hunter Nemechek out of the way to get to the checkered flag first. Eric Almarola probably thought he had one in the bag, and then uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. said, uh-uh. And uh, uh, Almarola still finished third, but uh, not in the manner that he thought he, he probably would. Uh, but with that said, though, uh, Stuart Haas Racing in general, um, obviously Kevin Harvick and the four team, they're bringing the noise every week. They're one of the two or three cars that are – that are legit contenders to win every single week. But um, the other teams, they're stepping up their performance as well. Al Marola and the 10 team with Mike Bogorabich as the, the crew chief, uh, formerly with Clint Boyer, uh, they have strung together five consecutive top five finishes, which is very impressive uh, for anybody uh, it's very impressive for Al Marola, who has been known as a good driver um, and has had some, uh, you know, some race-winning drives uh, undone by circumstances late in races over the last year or two. He, uh, he finally broke through a Talladega last year, but has, has shown generally good speed otherwise. Um, and over the last five weeks, um, he and that 10 team have shown some really good speed. They've shown some grit. They've found themselves, um, you know, in some holes at times during, uh, during and they've had to go get it and uh, employ some strategy um, and just flat out drive other cars and get around them, even when it's difficult to pass like it was at, um, at Indianapolis here this last weekend. But they've gotten it done. 
Uh, Clint Boyer has started to he's he's shown that uh, he can put some some top ten finishes together as well. Had a um, what might have been a good strategy um, at Indianapolis undone by a, an untimely caution, and then um, uh, Cole Custer, the rookie, he's starting to show some signs of life now as well, um, finishing. Uh, I believe in the top five. Yeah. Finishing fifth at, uh, at Indianapolis. Um, the rest of the Gibbs guys, they're around, but um, somebody like a Kyle Bush um, that you would, th- would be, um, you know, more of a part of the conversation um, hasn't really been as much. Um, and that's been a little bit of a surprise there. Uh, Martin Truex jr. Um, he's been doing, uh, pretty well, you know, has been, has found himself kind of undone by some bad luck, um, including, and especially at Indianapolis, he had a, uh, um, a fixable engine issue that kind of put him uh, deep in the field. And then when, um, the, the back of the pack, uh, started to stack up and crash, uh, coming to pit road, um, he just happened to find himself there. And, and that was the end of his day. Um, that was a very scary incident too, um, at the uh, the beginning of uh, the brickyard for a lot of them actually. But there was the the one at the beginning of the the race was particularly scary because a crewman got hit. Uh, thankfully, while he was hurt, some races for the foreseeable future, um, uh, he is going to make a full recovery, and that's the the really good news. Beyond that, um, the race at at Indy. Um, was part of uh, a double header. We're going to get into much more detail about that um, later on in the episode, but uh, just some really, really big hits and really scary hits. Um, uh, Tire wear was an issue throughout the race and um, it did lead, especially the Gibbs cars um, to some pretty catastrophic tire failures and equally catastrophic hits into the safer barrier. Denny Hamlin, who was running away with the race in the final laps, uh, lost a right front going into turn one and uh, hit the wall extremely hard, and his day was done. Eric Jones had a right front let go in turn three, um, coming out of turn three, and hit the wall even harder uh, than Denny Hamlin did. As a matter of fact, Clint Boyer on his radio said, I've never seen somebody hit that hard in my life. I don't think. Um, and, uh, so very fortunate that he's okay as well. Um, but, uh, that's, those are the, uh, the big stories, um, in terms of on track performance is it's either the four or the 11 that is going to win every week. And it's just, it comes down to whoever, employs the the best strategy uh, and whoever has the most luck um, that that strategy will work out um, and that there's no uh, untimely cautions uh, or anything that uh, get in the way. Um, the other big storyline um, here in recent weeks is uh, Jimmy Johnson um, testing positive for COVID-19 and thus having to step out of the car for Indianapolis. Um, Subsequently, um, he tested negative twice, um, uh, more than 24 hours apart, um, and has gained medical clearance to return racing again. So, um, so that's some good news there as well. 
Um, and then we talked about Indy before, um, and we're going to talk some more about that um, uh, here in this in the the next segment with with David, um, and then also in the uh, in the spotlight. But um, the Xfinity race, the first time at the uh, Indy Road Course, just an absolute dogfight. Um, and as with any NASCAR road course, it seems, especially here in recent years. Um, it lived up to the billing and it was an incredible race between um, a couple of uh, accomplished road course racers and AJ Allmendinger and, and uh, the 22 car um, Austin Sindrick. Um, yeah. Spirited battle between AJ Allmendinger and Austin Sindrick. Um, and they've fought so, so furiously between them that uh, Chase Briscoe was able to get around all of them and just drive away and, uh, come home with a win on his home track. So that was a, another really, really good storyline as well. There's, um, there's been a lot of feel-good moments uh, that have come out of NASCAR here in recent weeks. And uh, that was, was definitely um, one of them. So, uh, David, Ryan, uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, I definitely watched that race on, on Saturday. I watched part of the IndyCar race. I missed the start of it because I was outside doing the, doing the stuff on the smoker. But watching the um, Xfinity race, and that was, I mean, that was thrilling. I mean, four or five guys within, within the final few laps could win it. And it's, I mean... In, I mean, the IndyCar race, it, it gets drawn out. I mean, IndyCar and road, road courses, they, they do spread out more. But it, it definitely was thriller. I mean, it's it, it it's definitely was lived up to the billing. It was smart move by Roger Penske. Um, eventually, you know, the captain definitely making a good choice. And I think that is definitely going to live up to the hype. And I would not be surprised if Penske builds more to that. It definitely wouldn't surprise me either. Um, we'll have much more on that in the, uh, in the spotlight, but, um, but yeah, um, just a, a really, really good race. Um, and uh, definitely showcases uh, uh, the Xfinity series really well. Um, and it show it showcased the indie road course in general really well too. Um, when that course was first built, it first built back in the two thousands. Um, it, it was for Formula One because in ninety nine, um, I'm listening right now to um, on um, on Pan, on Pandora the Indy five hundred classics that Jackaroo does. Yeah. And they were talking about the 1999 Indy 500, and that's uh, they talked to Breck. And I don't know if you remember at the time, the garage area was under construction for that because they were building the road course. They were building Formula One garages for F1 for that race. So yeah, I, yeah, that road course has been around for a long time. Um, and when it, when it was first built, it really wasn't that well regarded um, as being a, a good uh, racetrack. Um, there weren't a, a whole lot of kind words said about it. 
Um, but I think they've made some adjustments to it here over the years and, and um, you know, added some, some parts and taken some parts away. Um, and I'll tell you what, it definitely outperformed my expectations, um, especially on the, uh, the NASCAR side. And we'll talk more about uh, the IndyCar series here in a minute. Um, but uh, it, it was a technical track, but there was still a lot of passing that went on. And uh, that was, that was a really cool thing to see. Um, So, so yeah. Um, Any other thoughts from, uh, from that? I, I, you know, just, just one final thought. Um, I, I, with Johnson breaking, uh, with what happened with Jimmy Johnson and and that was shocking. And I don't know if, I don't know if you caught it on the pre-race, but, did you know Dale Jarrett tested positive for COVID a while ago? Uh, that I did not know. I did not know. Yeah, and I was like shocked when he said that. So um, it's, I mean, it, I think, Jimmy, it was scary. We know it, his wife had tested positive, and, you know, that's where, you know, it wasn't someone in the shop, but. It definitely had NASCAR on there, and I applaud Steve Phelps for coming out that day, the, the day of the IMSA race. Um, Mike Mike Tirico interviewed him and said, "Listen, you know, interviewed him, and he said, essentially said, this is our policy, this is what we have, and this is, you know, essentially this is what we're going to stick to, and this is how it's going to work, and." So I, I think NASCAR definitely took some right, the right steps there with that. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and it was, it was notable too. I was listening to um, uh, the door bumper clear podcast here recently with um, TJ majors, Brett Griffin and Freddie Kraft. And, they were talking about that, uh, that diagnosis and um, they were commending Jimmy Johnson for doing the right thing and staying home um, and, you know, working through getting over this disease. Um, and I was surprised at that because they were talking about, um, you know, how he could have just as easily um, cause it, initially it was his wife that tested positive first. Yeah. And then he turned around and um, got tested himself, which is where he uh, discovered that he was in fact positive for this virus. Um, But they were commending him for taking the initiative to go and get tested um, when he found out his wife had tested positive. Um, And so that was a bit of a surprise to me as well um, that, you know, you could in theory have had a situation where um, he could have come to the racetrack potentially and, you know, been positive and, and, you know, didn't even know it. So, um, so there was, um, so uh, I think the, the sport was fortunate. I think, um, you know, it was, it was again, good on Jimmy Johnson for doing the right thing. Um, And, you know, fate seems to reward when you do the right thing because he's only missing one race. Um, he's coming back this weekend to Kentucky. Um, he's still, I believe, in, in the, the playoff hunt. I think he's somewhere around like 12th or 13th in points. Yeah. Um, so he's still got a fighting chance of making the playoffs this year. And that team does have some good speed. We've talked about it before. He, 
Um, had a very fast car at Darlington, but you know got undone by uh, an uncharacteristic mistake. So, and they've had good runs elsewhere. Um, and you know the crew chief there, Cliff Daniels, and and uh, that forty-eight team, they're making some good things happen. We've talked about Hendrick before, and they've um, you know they've been a, a generally solid bunch here in recent weeks too. They haven't really done anything exceptional, um, but you know William Byron's still putting in some decent runs. Um, Chase Elliott's putting in some decent runs still. So, you know, they're, they're still there. Um, and Jimmy Johnson will be as well. Yeah. So with that said, it's time to switch gears and it's time to, uh, to talk more about what all has gone on in the world of, of open wheel and also the, the, uh, the world of endurance car racing as well, the IMSA series. So David, why don't you tell us some more about that? Yeah, each series has uh, has at least gotten a race under their belt. Uh, IndyCar actually had their second race. It was part of the Xfinity um, IndyCar doubleheader on July 4th at IMS. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more of that in our spotlight segment. But just some quick rundowns with it. Scott Dixon had again. He finally gets the win on the, Indy, uh, on the IndyCar road course. And he, you know, that eluded him last year. I mean, pa- I mean, Paginal just out had had the car to beat and just got him in the end last year. So this year, Dixon did well, had some good strategy and won it. Uh, Graham Marie Hall was second. Simon Paginal was third. Colton Herta fourth. Renus VK a- after a wreck at Texas, like a really. Two of them. Two of them, yeah, in practice, and then and then getting into Palu, you know, Palu was part of that. Um, you know, you you know, you could tell his confidence was shaken, and way to go, a top. I mean, not just top ten, but top five. Yep, really yep. good, good for him. And you know, I saw him race last year at the Indy Lights race, the Freedom One Hundred, when I went to the Indy Five Hundred at. He was really good, so I'm glad to see him. Couple notables: James Hinchcliffe, 11th, and then Felix Rosenquist was 15th. Um, Marco Andre, 22nd, and Alexander Rossi. Another tough day for him. Yeah, Jeez. you know, another mechanical issue, and yeah. that that was 25th. And then Oliver Askew losing it, coming off essentially that final corner, which if you look at the Indy Road course, they um, they go backwards towards turn four on the front stretch and then make that cut in there. So when they come off, they're coming off just a little before turn one, right mm-hmm. where the banking starts to transition and – he just lost it, and you know, tough yeah, day back into the car, him. stepped around on him, and and yeah, you just couldn't uh, keep up with it, and yeah, it on the fence hard, yeah. and that caution actually messed up a lot of people's strategy. Oh yeah, uh, and you know, people were trying a lot of different strategies because it was pretty well known, I guess, that Scott Dixon was going to have the dominant car. Yeah, um, and he did. I mean, there was nothing anybody had for him at all, um, but you know, people that were trying to use a different strategy. Um, and maybe out strategize the the Ganassi cars. 
Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of that was completely undone uh, because of that caution. Yeah, um, so, most certainly. But you were talking about VK. Um, another thing to note with this, uh, you know, with his run, uh, he finished top five, but, but at the same time, he also started 18th. Yeah. So he started deep in the field and, you know, made a spirited run up through. Uh, he passed a lot of cars. Um, you know, they had a solid strategy. It worked out really well for them. And yeah, it was, it was a, a, a real redemption story for him. Look at the, I mean, look at the standings right now. I've got the standings right here in front of me, and he finished, what, dead last at Texas. So he yep. went from last all the way up to 38 or up to 11th in points. That's a big jump. And, and, and with that Carpenter Racing, I mean, he's yep. he always has a good car. He has a dominant car's. And VK's really good on road courses. And with the doubleheader coming up at Road America, I, I, could, I, I could see him being a threat. Now, if Dixon sweeps it, I, I hate to say it, but Dixon, you know, the Iceman's going to get the championship if he sweeps Road America. Yeah, because, I mean, he's right now, it looks like his he's, team, they're on a different level. He's, um, he's, um, hold on, 29 points ahead of Paginot. Yeah. And 40 points ahead of third place. Yeah. So he has two good runs here. He's going to run away with it. Um, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, Ganassi's really good it, it, with IndyCar. Um, yep. Dixon's been dominant over the past few years. So I think that's been really good. But, you know, that wasn't the only open-wheel event that happened this weekend. We got the first Formula One race of the season at Austria. Yes. Um, I did not watch that race, but I heard it did I, not disappoint. I, it did I watched, not lack correction. I watched it. I Well, I recorded it, and I'm recording it this weekend, too. They're, they're back at Austria, the Red Bull course. Um They've been really, really good, and it, it well Red Bull course, but was not good for Red Bull this past weekend. No, and, and it was not good for Lewis Hamilton, and I'll explain that in the map. But mm -hmm. but Valtteri Bottas for Mercedes wins it. Charles Leclerc, who's probably going to be the number one driver next year, going yep. to finishing second. Um, number one for Ferrari, I mean. Lando yep. Norris, third. Lewis Hamilton, fourth. We'll explain. He was running second. We'll explain what happened to Hamilton in a moment. Carlos Sanz, the guy who's going to replace Vettel um, at Ferrari next year, uh, fifth. Uh, a couple other Norbles, Perez, sixth. Pierre Gasly, seventh. Esteban Ocon, eighth. Um, Antonio Giovinazzi, ninth. Uh, Vettel, tenth. He he had some trouble. He ended up finishing tenth, started tenth. I, I heard a stat that he um, has never started outside the top ten in a Formula One race. Yep. Uh, Nicholas Le 
Tife was 11th, and then they had, out of the remaining cars... Yeah, I think seven of them retired. Yeah, seven retired. Verstappen, Red Bull, having issues. They, they've been having issues for a while now. Uh, Ricardo had issues with this car mechanical. Same with Verstappen. Uh, Stroll had it. Magnussen spun out. I guess he lost his brakes. Um, and then the same thing happened to Grosjean. And then uh George Russell had crashed. Um, Kimi Raikkonen um, had suspension break, and his um, right front wheel broke. He yeah, was going in. Off. Oh well, it didn't come off. It just popped right. It popped up. Yeah, and and that was bad. But um, congratulations to Bottas. Um, Glad to see he's starting to get his due. Uh, two years ago in Sochi, um, th- there was some heated controversy. Uh, they they were in the middle of the championship. Lewis Hamilton, they they Bottas was leading, going for the win in his home country, and Toto Wolff said, well, "You gotta let." Hamilton move over, give it to him, and it's like, you know, and, and Vettel had started to fall off, and they said, hey, you know, you know, Buzz, like, come on, let me win, let me win, no, 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 and it, um, he was very upset, and even Lewis Hamilton was in tears, he's like, I didn't want to win it this way, and, and after that, it kind of they, they kind of had a powwow and I think things got better and, and that's the nice thing with Lewis Hamilton you know he, he encourages sportsmanship and, and I really applaud him for that but Hamilton had some issues the, the first thing was he took a five position grid penalty oh, um, wow. regarding it and so what happened in qualifying in Q3, they do three rounds of qualifying. He was following his teammate. Um, he had been, his, his, um, he had followed Bottas when he, when he went off in turn four in Austria. And the steward said, no, the, there was green and yellow flags, no action taken. Well, Red Bull protested, and they said, no, it was legal, nothing to worry, we're not going to do anything. Well, Red Bull actually had video, the 360-degree camera, and this was from Chris Medlin on Racer.com, and he said they showed him passing a yellow flag, so this was from Hamilton's car, on the exit of turn four. So the steward said, okay. We're going to take it. We're going to accept your petition. Let's relook at it. And they said, actually, I do apologize. It was a three-place grid penalty. He started fifth. Mm-hmm. So um, that, you know, not not a good start, but hey, fifth. And Hamilton was doing well, ranked second. And all of a sudden, he, um, he got into Elbon. Um, they, they touched. And this was with uh, laps to go and, and near the end of the race. And the stewards also came out and said, 
we're investigating it. Now, in Formula One racing, they investigate any wrecks out there. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, you know, any incident, they take a look um, to see if there was contact. Um, it, 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 you know, if it, if it was a racing accident or if penalty needs to be given. And they decide Lewis Hamilton gets a five-second penalty. In, in Formula One, when you get the penalty, it's it, they do it by total time. So they look at, so the guy who, where you finish, you need to look at total time. And the, the thing was, it was such a close race that it actually ended up costing Hamilton all these, um, these spots and regulating him down to fourth. And... It just because of the time. Now, if Leclerc and um, per, and Perez were Norris, not Perez, Norris, if they were more than five seconds ahead, or or they were more than five seconds behind, Hamilton would have been second, wouldn't have done much. But because of it, he ends up fifth. Um, he he didn't feel like he deserved it. But he does understand it. Looking at the thing on um, by Chris Medlin on Racer.com, he, you know, he he felt, you know, he thought it was a racing incident. It's unfortunate they collided, but you know, he he didn't think he he did anything wrong. It's just they saw it in a different way. And and one other final note. Um, uh, with IMSA, um, they they got back after a five month hiatus. Um, oh, they ran it at Daytona, right? Yeah, two hundred. The IMSA WeatherTech two forty, um, Townsend Bell doing the double, calling the race, calling the IndyCar race, and then hang down to Daytona f- to actually race. He, um, some some stories. Out- Great race. I watched it. It was delayed um, due to lightning, so they actually ended up finishing under the lights. Oh wow! Uh, and, uh, in dark, actually, when they when they put the lights on at dark um, at, at Daytona for those guys, not all the lights are on, so that it, it's actually dark in spots. Mm-hmm. But it's really cool. But. Um, um, Mazda 1-2 in the DPI in the Daytona Prototype. Uh, Jonathan Bomarito, Harry Ticknell winning that with their teammates Oliver Jarvis and Tristan Newis third. Tough break for Helio Castroneves and Ricky Taylor. Their car actually mechanically failed on lap 43. And that was mm-hmm. it for them. Uh, got Gabby Chavez filling in, doing well in the Cadillac. Uh, actually ending up fifth. Um, Corvette winning in the um, GT Le Mans, the Grand Touring Le Mans. Corvette mm-hmm. win number 100. Great job for them. Tristan um, or um, Antonio Garcia, Jordan Taylor winning it. Earl Bambier and Lawrence Vanthor um, was second in the Porsche. Third was um, the other Porsche of Nick Tandy and Fred Makowacki. And then congratulations to Vassar Sullivan Racing. Uh, t- they had themselves a day, didn't they? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, they really did. And they took one, two in the uh, Grand Touring Daytona class. Very cool. So before we go to break, uh, Elliot, Ryan, any thoughts? Um, I'll confess I don't have very many thoughts uh, about the um, uh, the IMSA race. I didn't get a chance to watch it, so um, – so I don't have very many there, unfortunately. But um, same thing also with um, with the Formula One race itself. I did watch qualifying that morning, um, the morning before, and and uh, yeah, it was a huge surprise to see Ferrari not have any speed in qualifying. Um, and supposedly there was a, a backstory to that. I guess there had had been an investigation of Ferrari's engines from 2019. So. Um, I don't know if as a result of that investigation, they had to change something up or if they just changed something anyway. And, and It's complicated. I was trying to listen to it today. Um, WGR Buffalo, uh, WGR 550, Howard, Howard Simon and Jeremy White had a um, Formula One reporter. Uh, they're, they're starting to get into Formula One racing and uh, his phone connection was a little tough, so I, I was trying to hear what he was saying about Ferrari, but um, I, if you listen to it, you kind of get an understanding what's going on, but um, I, I, I think um, that's something we're going to kind of bring up in a future episode with what's going on with Ferrari, so we'll, we'll have to see what happens this weekend in Austria. Um, nine, it's, it's on ESPN. Um, you know, it, it, if you're listening to our podcast and you, you know, we, we pre-record these and you miss, you end up missing the race. Um, if you go on to like ESPN, like their, their watch ESPN or their video on demand, you'll find it and you get to, you can watch it anytime. So um, definitely watch some of the Formula One racing. It's really good. It, it's been really good, and I've gotten into it in the past few years, and I enjoy it. So with that said, we, we're actually up against a break. When we come back, we're going to get into our spotlight segment, and we've got some interesting topics to talk about. Brian, take it away. From Checkout to Green podcast, we'll be right back. Are you looking to get your business design head and shoulders above your competitors? Consider Samurai Graphics. Samurai Graphics has all the technical know-how and design prowess to make your business stand out among your competitors. Anything from using your own logo or designing a custom logo for your business to integrate it into business cards, letterheads, flyers, anything else that you would need to get your business out in the world and get the public talking. For any information regarding Samurai Graphics and all the services and products that they can provide, contact Aaron Saylor at SamuraiGraphics716 at gmail.com. Samurai Graphics, your business design solution. And now, back to From Checker to Green podcast with David Maudy and Elliot Tardiff. Thank you, Ryan. So now we're into the spotlight segment of this episode. 
and we have a number of headlines to talk about, um, specifically, once again, uh, relate, many of which relating to uh, COVID-19 and the response to them, uh, not only by um, local and state governments, but also by um, sporting sanctioning bodies as well. And the first that we're going to lead off with here is the um, the release of the rest of the NASCAR regular season schedule. Um, that was uh, um, it was just publicized the other day. Um, it features um, a doubleheader at Michigan, a doubleheader at Dover, um, and um, perhaps uh, most notably the replacement of the road course race at Watkins Glen in the Finger Lakes of New York with the road course at Daytona for the Cup Series. Um, and so we wanted to talk some more about this and uh, kind of detail the, um, the move that was made behind, or the, you know, the, the reasons behind this move um, and also what it means um, financially for the uh, for the um, not only for Watkins Glen but for the for the surrounding area the um, the uh, entire Finger Lakes region of of central and western New York there um, and uh, where we go from here so um, so let's talk about that um, NASCAR has uh, so actually let's let's back up a little bit before that um, New York and indeed much of the Northeastern United States, they had a really rough time with COVID-19 during the first weeks of the outbreak, right? Um, it, was, it was all over the news. Uh, New York City in particular um, was really hard hit. Um, you know, hospitals were having a really tough time. Um, it was just, it, it, was, it was a really, really bad time. Um, and everybody locked down up there. Uh, there was a lot of effort to try and contain the virus, and now, by and large, they have. The number of cases there have decreased rather substantially, um, and they're trying very, very hard to keep it that way, especially while cases in other parts of the country, including here in the Carolinas, have been going up in recent weeks, um, as well as much of uh, the broader southeast as well as um, you know the what's called the Sun Belt, much of the southern United States, um, out to Texas, um, Arizona, and also California as well. So um, it's gotten to the point where um, the governors of what's called the tri-state area, which is New York, um, New Jersey, and Connecticut, have said, and I believe Massachusetts got into this as well, that anybody that's coming from us that's traveling to their um, respective states from a place that has been designated a COVID-19 hotspot like North Carolina needs to self-quarantine for 14 days. So they're not playing around with this. Um, but when you're talking about um, an event like uh, the NASCAR race weekend at Watkins Glen, it's, it's a big deal for that area. Um, well, certainly you know, is, you know, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, go ahead. I bet I've been there twice and, yeah. it, and it is, it, it's a big, it's a big deal. People camp people. I mean, 
it, it, it's one of their bigger events. Now, Grand Watkins Glen also does the Finger Lakes Wine Festival. They have the Salem Six Hours of the Glen, which is another big event. And then the Vintage Grand Prix, which is big. So, yeah, it, I mean, it is. It's lots of people there. You, you can't get a hotel nearby. I mean, the, the first time I went, I stayed an hour north in Geneva. And it, it, it definitely is, for, for sure. Yep. And to give an idea of the financial impact of this race weekend to the surrounding um, counties, uh, there's an article um, in the Star Gazette. I believe this is out of Binghamton, New York, uh, mm-hmm. in 2014. And they identified a $50 million impact in a nine-county region in and around Watkins Glen. Yeah. Uh, just specifically associated to this race weekend. Another, uh, it, it includes, I mean, I mean, you talk about nine counties, you're, you're also including like the cities of Syracuse, Elmira, Binghamton. Uh, I mean, back in the 90s, there used to be a, a big race at the Shimon Speed, uh, Speedrome, uh, the, the track the Bonines owned, um, that that would happen the night before. So, yeah, I mean, definitely with, with a lot of the counties, it does impact a lot. Indeed. Um, and there's uh, um, even suggestions that the impact, uh, economic impact is, uh, could even be greater than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a uh, 2015 article by the Democrat and Chronicle, and I believe this is out of Rochester. Yes, yes. And um, they were um, speaking to um, uh, some track officials at Watkins Glen and the work that they had been doing um, up to that point in time in uh, increasing awareness of uh, state politicians in Albany, the state capital, um, Mm -hmm. of uh, the Watkins Glen race, of the impact, the economic impact and the jobs impact that it has to that area as well. Um, and, you know, not asking for, for any handouts or anything, but just rather awareness and asking them to help sell this event um, and bring more people to the, the track and, you know, uh, make the race weekend that much more successful. Which, um, which they did because it's part of the I Love New York campaign. Indeed. Um, and, you know, and another reason why, uh, you know, New York loves Watkins Glen so much. According to uh, according to this article, um, there was a report that was put out um, by w- the Washington Economics Group Incorporated um, in 2014. It was called the 2014 Economic Impact Report uh, that was prepared specifically for Watkins Glen. And it, um, according to this report, it put the track's annual economic impact on the state not just the, the ninth, but the entire state of New York at $204 million, including, wow. 40, yep, including $40 million in tax revenue. Um, in addition to an estimated 2,057 direct and indirect jobs related to the race weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, um, the gentleman that they were talking to um, from the track, a gentleman named Michael Printup, yeah. Um, 
he um, he was saying that when they started this awareness campaign, very there was very little awareness of the race weekend in Watkins Glen. But after they they um, got some people out there and they started you know seeing hey this this thing is here it's really cool, pretty much everybody's on board with it now, um, and knows what it is knows you know the the benefits it brings to the state, um, and. Uh, not only for racing, uh, but for other events as well. I know that at, at one point they were going to try and host, um, I think they were going to try and host Woodstock there. Well, um, it, it, <laughs> well, <laughs> that was a f- complete flop. Um, it was, but it goes to, you know, speak that, you know, the, the capability that this track has, the property has, of being able to host big events, not just big, uh, big racing events, but well, that, you know, other things too. Well, that Finger Lakes Wine Festival is, is huge down there. It's, I mean, you're in the heart of wine country down there. Yes. And, 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 and the way that that track operates and, and the way they do things, it's, I mean, Pintrup's running it well. Um, it it's i mean i i, I think it, it it i mean in my opinion i i think it it stinks that they couldn't run out at wgi but i don't know i i i you know i i know people want to take it political i'm not going to get into the politics of it but you know what we're you know you've got to assess the situation it's it's like um let's take for example you have a weather you know think of like if we had you had like a hurricane or something coming through the daytona area on daytona 500 weekend Mm -hmm. would you i mean and, and they turn around and say listen we can't run it but hey we can actually end up going to Talladega to get out of harm's way to run it. People are still going to get upset no matter what. Yep. And, and you know, they're offering your tickets are good for next year. If not full refund plus 20%, it's, you know, yep. it, it, it's a smart decision. It is. Um, and, you know, I, I, I bring all those numbers up and I bring, you know, the, um, you know, the history up and the, the economic, you know, the recent economic uh, impacts uh, reports for that area to, you know, detail the, the gravity of such a decision, um, not only on NASCAR, not, on, not only on the race season, um, but, you know, for that area. Um, well, yeah, and, it's, you know, I mean... They, it's it's a money maker. It's it a is. money maker for the wineries. We yep. had we had I mean we had this discussion in in one of my online business classes, um, the marketing, and the person suggested he he was from the Syracuse New York area as well. Um, he was in the military and you know got. God bless him. I, I can't remember his name, but thank you. you know, this person, I, I, you know, I thank him for serving our country. And he, um, 
you know, he was talking about opening up a bed and breakfast, and we were in a discussion on online um, discussion posts. And one of the things I said, look at race weekend. Look at the race weekends that the racetrack brings in. That's going to help you bring business. And it does. It, it does. It brings a lot to that. And, and from a business standpoint, yeah, they're cutting their losses, but it, it but they just actually said they they're opening up the drive weekends. They they just got approval from New York State to do the bring your car and drive, and that's like twenty five dollars, I believe, to do three laps on the track, including the boot. And you know what? People are gonna want to go somewhere. Go drive. So you know what? That's going to help bring in some money. It may not bring as much, but, it, I mean, the impact on the area, the, the wineries have been struggling a little bit, but they're, they're mm -hmm. doing curbside. They're, they're trying to get along. Yeah. If that region's just working together. And I, I, think, I think one year's not going to hurt them. Business-wise, it's going to stink. I, I mean, on the books that, hey, we, we couldn't do it. But you know what? We gave money back. We didn't have to pay volunteers. We, we, we didn't have to worry about. We didn't have to risk um, the, the, the volunteer firefighters that come and help. So from a business standpoint, um, I was listening to Pintrup last night on the local news. They interviewed him and, and he, you know, he didn't seem dejected. He, he, he seemed like, okay, we can do this. It, we just had to make the decision. We couldn't get approval. We, we tried and, and that was one of the tough things for them. Um, and, you know, it goes to show the, um, you know, uh, this decision and everything that comes with it, as you just described, Dave, um, it goes to show the, the conviction and, you know, the real intent that uh, Governor Cuomo and, you know, the um, New York state government has of trying to keep this uh keep this virus from from spreading again in and, new york state yeah and they're they're not the only state that's doing this as well there's other states that have turned around and said hey we have to postpone some of our big events yep um, and there's another one here that we're um we're going to talk about and that is um, the Knoxville Nationals, the 60th I, running of the Knoxville. Well, not Knoxville and the Kings Royal. Yep. The two of the big crown jewels for the world of outlaws. And, and, mm -hmm. and within matter of days, yep. just getting canceled. And the, the article I have here from the world of outlaws website about the Kings Royal. And, and I, I guess, um, I, I heard feedback, um, Tony Stewart, I, I haven't found anything, but I had heard um, through the rumor mill from what I'm understanding is that he, he agreed with the decision and he applauded the governor for, for saying it. But um, 
some of the things that they that they said in the in the article was I, I guess um, Mike DeWine um, texted uh, the the general manager of Eldora with the news and said, you know, while acknowledging importance of our events, especially for Drake County. He stated the orders in place to continue to prohibit spectators from more sports events. And, 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 and this was something we, we talked about a few episodes was, hey, um, do we, you know, do you run and have, not have spectators or do you just cut your losses? And, and this was, they were trying really hard. The, the article goes on to show that they were, you know, they, they, um, they extended the self-imposed deadline they had to announce the decision. They were working with the state. Um, it sounded like they were trying to come up with like maybe a 50% um, capacity. But if you know Eldora, um, where Eldora is located, it, it, there's a lake and there's a lot of farmland. And there's a lot of camping. There's a lot of people staying in the stands. It, it, it literally is in the middle of nowhere in Ohio. But it's, mm-hmm. um, it, it's tough. They, they said, we, we just got to reschedule it to next year. Everyone's tickets are honored for that. Um, from what I'm understanding, everyone's tickets are going to be honored for it. Um, for that event, but it's, I mean, you think about the amount of cars they bring in. When Tony Stewart took over Eldora, he brought it, he made a third night called the Joker's Wild. It used to be the, the um, I mean, it's one of the higher, you know, one of the higher money making, you know, money payout events for the world of outlaws and in the sprint cars. And you, you think, you know, you went from two events to the night before the King's Royal, and then you went to the King's Royal, and then you had the third event, the Joker's Wild for the world of outlaws. I, I mean, it, it's big. It, 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 I mean, it is a, a big moneymaker to them. That and the dream. And Eldor doesn't run weekly series. They run special events. And, I mean, it's not like Knoxville, which almost has a weekly series every night. Um, it, it's big. And they, they couldn't get going. They, they just couldn't. So from a business standpoint, thinking about that, the amount of money lost in that, um, for a track that only does special events and, and, and that they have spent money over the years improving that facility, it's, I mean, I, I, I just don't know where to begin with that. Is, I'm shocked. But then on top of that, then hearing that the Knoxville National or the Knoxville Nationals is canceled because yep. they could only have, um, you know, they get twenty three thousand plus fans yep. there, 
and that they could only have like 7,000. And you have to think Knoxville, their format is two nights. Um, I mean, they have over 100 plus cars. They do, they split them up in two groups. You get points. And then, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, and then you got the night before. And then you've got the, the event on that Saturday, the Knoxville Nationals. Um, it's in, in their county fairground, that track is um, right in the middle of town in, in Knoxville, Iowa. Um, it, it, the Marion County Fair Board, I, excuse me, um, this decision, according to um, weareiowa.com, which is um, that I got this from, they said the decision was made um, collaboratively between raceway officials and the Marion County Fair Board. And, and, and they said it was a tough decision to make, but it is heartbreaking. And if they could only have, um, you know, they decided, okay, we're, we're done with that. Now they ran Knoxville, didn't have any fans. The, the outlaws did, but, um, with that, it, it, it kind of is heartbreaking for that, and they're deciding they're gonna, their next event is going to be the Brownellis Capitanini Classic, and they're only getting 7,000 fans at most. So, I mean, you think about the numbers, the money, I mean – just look at these events. Look at how much money would be lost if they didn't have fans. Yep. So it's, I mean, it, it's sad that we lost these two crown jewel events. But from a business standpoint, I go back again and we said a while ago, when you make that decision, do I just cut my losses now and not spend the money? Or do I turn and say, I'm going to do it, spend money, and risk it? Yeah. You know, is it worth shutting down two of the greatest tracks? Probably not. Your thoughts, Elliot? Um, well, I'm thinking also about, um, you know, I mean, obviously, um, you know, track operators um, are put in a very tough spot, um, you know, because of the virus. Um, and, you know, maybe it's, it's, uh, you know, a bad, uh, or there's a bad outbreak at play, maybe not, but you know, you're, you're forced to make a, a decision between two options, bad and bad, you know, you don't know how, yeah. um, how to what severity either is really, yeah. um, you know, even if you cancel, and say, okay, we're, you know, we're just going to try to, you know, that that's still an impact on um, your revenue or income. And, you know, depending on what your debt load is, who knows if you'll be able to, you know, see 2021. Yeah. That's a good question. It, it, it's a double-edged sword right there. It is. But another big thing to remember about the Knoxville Nationals in particular is, um, what it means to um, the dirt racing community. Um, mm -hmm. And in particular, um, what happens if you win that championship A main? Yeah. 
That's a hundred and fifty thousand yeah, dollar check to the winner right there. Yeah, that's that's big, and that's the same with Kings Roy. You you win those, you're 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 up there. You yep. got people wanting want you in rides. Yep. And and look at David Gravel and the whole thing with Jason Johnson's team. You know, the, the setback that they had a couple years ago when when we lost him at at Beaver Lake, when when he he lost his life in that wreck and that team was set back and they got David Gravel and what does he do a year later? Wins the Knoxville Nationals. Hey, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, that, that helped them. That helped them. And they, mm-hmm. they've kept going on. Yep. And, you know, it's, it, it definitely is. It, it definitely is. It's a damn if you do, damned if you don't. And you know what? We got to make decisions. And NASCAR made a, speak of decisions, Elliot. Are we really going to Bristol this week? Indeed we are. Um, So that was a decision that had been made um, a few weeks before in mid-June. According to USA Today, not only were they going to move the all-star race out of Charlotte um, for just the second time in the history of of, uh, this race, um, according to the Associated Press, um, they're also going to allow some fans um, to attend this race. 30,000? Um, up, up to 30,000, yep. Yeah, they um, can spur them out there. Yep. Yeah, there's, I mean, they have the, um, they can hold almost 150,000 fans. Um, so that's, that's like what, a fifth? Uh, about that, yeah. Maybe <laughs> about, a, yeah, a little less than a, a little more than a fifth. Um, and, you know, they attributed the, uh, the recent spike of COVID-19 cases in North Carolina uh, for this move um, to, go to, uh, to go to Bristol. Um, so that's, you know, a notable thing unto itself. Uh, you know, obviously, um, Charlotte Motor Speedway, that has a huge hec- uh, economic impact on, on the greater Charlotte area. Um, but, um, uh, you know, there again. You know, COVID nineteen forcing uh, you know some difficult decisions to be made, um, and so this is one of them. But with that said, um, you know the the uh, the sport, Bristol Motor Speedway, and uh, the the promoters uh, uh, SMI, you know they're they're doing their best to try and make you know some lemonade out of lemons here, um, and doing so by, you know, trying some things. And this is one, you know, um, uh, one thing that the all-star weekend is somewhat known for is, um, you know, just experimentation. Yeah. Trying some off the wall things and, and let's just see if this works. And look at the new car that was supposed to come out next year. That was tested last year. The under the lights racing was tested in 92. Yep. Under the the banner of what what was it one hot night I think it was <laughs> yeah um, one one hot night with a full moon yep and we saw how that ended <laughs> yeah hey, everyone says hey Kyle Touchdale no he didn't nope. he didn't touch him 
Nope. And Dale just, admitted it too. He said he didn't touch me. Yep. I just lost it. Yep. Because otherwise, I'm sure Senior would have had but, uh, a lot more to say and do about it but, uh, had he actually been touched. But Elliot, let's let's talk about some of the the rule changes. And so, yep. what from your your impact? If any of these get implemented, tell me, are we going to go up or are we going to go down in, in viewership or is it going to hurt NASCAR? Um, the, the, the first thing in the choose rule, um, local tracks, Elliot Bowman Gray does it on their big events. Explain this. Yep. So what that is, um, it's, um, you know, cause Many of these short tracks, um, you know, and, and uh, other tracks where they employ this um, are generally one groove race tracks, right? So them, you know, yeah. Bowman Gray in particular, it's all about that bottom groove, right? That's the most precious real estate on, the, on planet Earth is that bottom groove at Bowman Gray uh, Stadium. So, um, but, you know, at the same time, if, you're, if, if it's a double wide restart and you're starting second, you're on the outside, right? Yeah. So that puts you at a significant disadvantage. Um, and that's also true of some of these other racetracks out there, Bristol Motor Speedway chiefly being among them. Martinsville. Uh, it has Martinsville too, but, um, you know, as we've seen, especially, uh, you know, the, the race that we had there earlier this year, the top lane is king. If you get stuck on the bottom, you have no speed, you have no momentum yeah. coming off the corners, and you're going to lose a lot of positions. Mm-hmm. So you could come off a pit road second, start on the inside because the, the leader chose the top lane, and find yourself running sixth, seventh, or worse um, within a matter of laps. Yeah. So, and we're starting to see that now manifest itself in cars when they're coming off a pit road, um, slowing down. And trying to see if they can allow somebody else to go ahead of them, so that way they can get um, an ideal uh, restart position, be it on the outside, inside, whatever the case. And so that's, you know, from a, a strictly from a racing purist standpoint, um, that's not a good look. Also, from a safety standpoint, if you've got cars all of a sudden slamming on brakes at the end of pit road, then um, you know what's that? going to do for for cars behind them that may not necessarily be expecting that so there's there's a lot of um a lot of concerns at play there um and so the the choose rule is you know first off it's going to improve um you know matters on pit road nobody is going to have to you know is going to is going to be you know trying to play games with slowing down or stopping on pit road uh, to you know, try and gain the system and get a better uh, uh, get a better restart position. Mm-hmm. So there's that. So it's going to make um, the race off of pit road um, safe and organic again. So that's important. Um, and what it does too is it allows um, the drivers. It kind of democratizes driver choice about where they restart. So we're going to Bristol this coming weekend. The vast majority of drivers are going to choose the outside lane. But if you're running, say, sixth or seventh or tenth or somewhere, you know, um, you know, back of the front, 
you may say, okay, let me start on the inside, um, you know, of row one, row two, and let me roll the dice here. Let me gamble and see if I can't um, find a hole. Say somebody, you know, gets, gets squirrely in the top lane and all of a sudden they can slide up in, you know, second place or third place or who knows, maybe even the, uh, the leader has a problem going in turn one and you, you skate by in the bottom as Brad Keselowski did yeah. and Clint Boyer at the end of the Bristol race. And next thing you know, you're out front, you're leading. So um, that's what the choose, the choose rule is about. Um, and um, there's been a lot of attention. There's been a lot of calls for it, um, you know, in particular from the driving core. Um, and this weekend, they're going to give it a try. They're going to say, all right, let's see what happens. They give um, it um, one state. Yep. And that's another thing too, is, um, you know, we're, um, you know, we've done a lot of midweek races. Um, and, you know, I would be, uh, like to argue that, you know, they've, they've been able to do that with some success. Um, and uh, that's, that's another going to be another unique part of this all-star race. It's going to be on a Wednesday night. So I want, I, I mean, I definitely love the tools role. I just want to give a, a couple of quick thoughts before we roll into talking about IndyCar and the NASCAR doubleheader, but um, the numbers that the, where they're positioning the numbers, they're putting a sponsor kind of making it look like a um, grand am car uh, endurance car. Um, I don't know if I like that. Um, it, it I, I think it, it definitely is going to be an experiment to see, but um, I don't know. Stock car racing, the numbers are always in the middle. Um, it makes it easier for scoring. Touring, it, it's, I mean, those numbers in the back make it a little bit easier. They don't have sponsors there too much because they, they've got some other things there. So I don't know about that. But really, Underglow, are you kidding me? Yeah. What the? Who? I, I don't care if Ganassi came out with it. Someone said best. What? Are we going to do burnout competitions right now? Like, what the? Hey, come on. Who loses? it? How many debris cautions are we going to get? Because someone drops one, one of those drops off because they beat and bang at Bristol. That they do. And, you know, what are these lights going to be made of? That's another question I have. So if one of these, you know, breaks, um, you know, during the race, you know, is that going to, is the whole thing going to drop out? They only gave, I believe, um, the teams like a week or two to prepare for this. So, you know, and, and NASCAR teams well, in general are a pretty resourceful well, bunch and they've figured yeah. it out. Well, the, the number thing is easy because they're, they're vinyl. It, I mean, it's a final car cover. Right. Um, now, do you do that something going forward to like road courses? Maybe, you know, that might be a good idea for road courses. Um, give, the, give the cars a different look. They're built a little bit different. Um, you know, just kind of like how IndyCar has their road course car and it looks one way compared to their oval cars. But, yeah, 
I, I don't know. I, I love the Trulies rule, but NASCAR, come on. It, well, you're just starting to gain more fans here. You're gaining well, more fans in the sport. Don't turn them away. Come on, you guys have been struggling like that for years. Yeah, well, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna try some things, and you know, some things won't, you know, may not work, and other things may. Um, but I'll give you one thought. We're gonna move on uh, to the next segment here in a second. But I wanted to um, to end the segment with this thought, um, and it comes from um, uh, a missive that uh, Brett Griffin. Uh, posed on the Door Bumper Clear podcast here recently when they were talking about uh, moving the car numbers to the corners um, because when he's not spotting, he works um, on the business side of uh, the racing industry. And he notes that um, it is in the contract, um, you know, or in contracts with race teams and sponsors as to where um, a sponsor's logo, livery, whatever the case, um, will appear on the race car. Nowhere in the, in those contracts does it mention anything about doors, um, you know, or the surface area they're in. So changing this up all of a sudden to now, instead of, um, you know, on the hood or on the, the quarter panel or whatever, now you have a door, which is a bigger area. Um, it's, it's, a it has the potential to be a, a, a really big problem from a contractual standpoint for these race teams. So, yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, that, Oh, sorry. Continue. Um, so I was um, just going to say that in the short term, I don't think they're, they're going to um, pursue this any more than they are um, for just this one weekend. And I think for that very basis, yeah. they need to give the time, the team's time, um, and their their business people time to consider the ramifications of that particular change and what it's going to mean to what they can charge for sponsorship, yeah. um, uh, you know, or, or charge for um, space that they have on the on their their cars. And 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 to bring up a quick point to that, Elliot. Um, I just mentioned the road course and, and Kyle Bush last year had on his back bumper top supermarkets, which is a local supermarket chain up here. So the only benefit I could see and the reason I think road courses would benefit and you mentioned the whole contractual thing, maybe if you want to get a local business on there who says, Hey, you know, we could use a little advertising. We'll give you some money. You know, maybe your car could come to our business. Maybe we'll set up an autograph session, you know, and, you know, instead of not paying the big bucks, you know, there's where that might help. And we know NASCAR, you know, the, the, the costs are, are out, you know, are up there. So, you know, any way you can help pay, any way you can help control your costs is good. And, you know, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But, I mean, at least it's a thought. But if they're going to do it, do it for the road courses. You, it'll, it'll look better. Yep. And we'll be here to talk about it in the next episode. Yeah. Um, but for now, speaking of road courses, let's talk, um, let's talk a road course and an oval at a right. little place called the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. 
Um, and um, I, the I, events of this past weekend I, that um, that were, you know, in, in many ways, um, the start of a, a new era in motorsport um, hey. and what may very well be. And I'm going to say it. Thank you, Roger Penske, for buying that track. I, you yep. know what? That was a smart business decision by Tony George after Mary Holman died and it, last year after she passed away. And they knew they were, they, none of the kids wanted it, and they sold it to the right person, a businessman who could control the track. We mentioned it in our first episode. Um, we were originally going to talk about IMS, and, and we still will. We, we're going to talk about this at one point in the next few episodes. It, it's going to be one of our bigger spotlight segments. But, um, you know, Roger, you know, that was smart. And, and one of the first things he did was he looked at everything. And, and from a business standpoint, when you acquire a company, what you have to do is you have to assess all your assets, all your liabilities, all your expenses, all your income. And he looked at it, and IMS is an asset. And that is a huge asset, a huge moneymaker too. With the Indy 500, they were struggling with the Brickyard 400. He knew it. He knew they weren't getting many fans there. Um, not like they did in the 90s uh, when they first ran. They weren't selling out. And he he made a smart decision. And when he announced that um, months ago, man, everyone said, wow, okay, we're excited now. You just now got something there. You had to do, he had to do something to save the Brickyard 400, which was dying out, which was starting to fail big time. Mm -hmm. And he turned around and said, we're going to have an IndyCar doubleheader, NASCAR doubleheader on the road course. Yep. Wow. You just, he just saved the Brickyard 400. He just saved it with that. And, and, and it was good. IndyCar in the morning, you had one, t you know, they were talking about the different tires, the different, you know, met tire manufacturers, the compound. It was great. And, and it's sad that we couldn't have fans there. But, hey, what's going to happen? It, it was such a thrilling race. They did so well. There's talk about um, – Eventually, Tony Stewart, probably next year, is going to do the double there. Maybe Jimmy Johnson. Dale Jr. said he had Marco Andretti and Ryan Hunter Ray, and I think, I think it was Hunter Ray, and I think Paginal call him up and say, hey, we want to drive a stock car. And, and I mean, the guy to go for any Xfinity cars is Jr. Yep. And holy crow. I, it, yeah, I think the quality to, of the, the on-track, yeah, the quality of the on-track product that we saw this last weekend, mm -hmm. um, you know, it will guarantee, I think, um, a very, very healthy fan turnout. 
if they yeah. repeat this next year. And I hope they do. Um, and, it's also, let's, and let's put the BC 39 on top of that. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Have all of the different, um, uh, you know, sectors of um, especially Midwestern motorsport, you know, open wheel, dirt, stock cars, you know, mm -hmm. all on the same, same weekend, the same place. Um, let, you know, let's, let's also be clear that this was not part of the plan going into this year. No, uh, this was an audible that was called, uh, I believe by Roger Penske and also um, by uh, Steve Phelps and Steve O'Donnell at NASCAR um, to say, okay, you know, and, we've got, and, we've got what we've got here. How do we make this work? And I think it was before all this COVID went down too. I, I think it was right before all this went down. Um, he, he had did it because he was making series of announcements. And, you know, he announced the Xfinity thing. Actually, he announced the Xfinity thing, the, the road course beforehand. Um, that, that was, I think, like February or that or January when they all came out. And then with the COVID, how it bumped the Grand Prix off and, and IndyCar, he said, well, we'll put the Grand Prix there. We're going to create another Grand Prix in, in, February, in October with some endurance racing. So he, he's doing that. It's, I mean... Roger Punsky, for the 80-some-year-old guy he is, he is very, very smart. He knows what yep. he does from a business standpoint. If you want to know how to run a business, look at him. Yep. Look at how he runs it. As soon as he had the conflict of interest, buying IndyCar, IMS, he said, I'm done with my IndyCar team. Tim Sendrick and those guys take over. I'm not gonna. I, I'm gonna focus on the track. The improvements. Did you see on Racer.com the improvements he made to the track? I had uh, seen some of them, especially during the uh, the television footage of the of the weekend. Um, it was it, it was it was impressive. It was extremely oh, yeah. impressive. Well, when I was there, I mean Georgetown Boulevard. And how narrow it was when I was there for carb day, he wind that out much, much better. Um, he, you know, more video boards, a, a big video board on the Pagoda, update mm -hmm. the bathrooms, which thank God she, he did that. Um, they, they need an up, upgrading. I, I will tell you that. Mm -hmm. But I... Uh, you know, it makes me want to go back to Indy in a few more years. And yep. and I've always said, maybe we'll do a podcast from there. But, yeah, I I just, I mean, I from a business standpoint, amazing. I, yep. I think he hit something. He did. And, and you know, another thing, too, you know, we talk about, um, and by the way, the um, announcement to move um, the IndyCar events, um, you know, and the, the formation of this double header uh, came on March 26th. So okay. it was um, as, you know, COVID-19 was, was really starting to, 
make its presence known in America. Um, and there were a lot of uh, changes being made and a lot of things being canceled and so on and so forth. Um, so that was when this first came together. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of, um, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. talked a little bit about it um, in a very recent episode of the Dale Jr. Download. And um, talking about how uh, in the past, something like this, you know, may not have happened because there were a lot of egos at play, right? Um, and when you have a situation like this, when you have, um, you know, a, um, a pandemic that is, you know, that has essentially shut down motorsport at this point, um, you know, ego gives way to um, cooperation because there's, there's a common enemy, um, amongst everybody in the motorsports industry. And that is, um, you know, you're trying to, to stave off annihilation. Yeah. Which is, you know, exactly what was, what was, uh, you know, what was, and, you know, to a degree is still a concern. Oh yeah, it, um, it definitely is. And I mean, I, I mean, I, I agree with you 100%, but yeah. I, I, I am going to put, put this point out there, Elliot, the Tony George, and I will have to get into this in a later episode, and just just how he did, and how things went, and how he was so criticized all around for what happened with CART and it and IRL and the Indy 500. And he's a really controversial figure oh, in the sport. And you would you wouldn't see this under him. No, you wouldn't. And nope. I I think having Roger Penske do this, yep. have him make the decisions that he did, mm -hmm. is what is going to make it better for for this and now you're getting gateway IndyCar in the morning trucks at night there you go the precedent has been established now you know we've broken yep. that door down um and you know the the reaction to it um you know by by everybody by the drivers um you know by fans um, oh they love it yeah i mean and you know the, the ratings say it all. The numbers don't lie. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they got great ratings. Yeah. It's a moneymaker. I mean, yeah. it's what IndyCar needed. Yeah. It's what NASCAR needed. Yeah. And I think you're going to see more of this. From a business standpoint, that was successful. If Gateway goes well like this yeah. and them running in the same day, what's next? The Roval at Charlotte? Um, Road America, Ro yeah, Road America, Mid Ohio. Yep, you could get Mosport. Yep, um, you could expand the IndyCar schedule. You could get a doubleheader in Sonoma, maybe Watkins Glen. Yeah, somewhere like a like a, a Watkins Glen would be would be really really yeah. Um, I could see that working a lot better. We've we've seen what uh, yep. what Open Wheel does at, at Sonoma. It just doesn't work as well. Yeah, um, but. Another part two with this is you have, you know, multiple 
um, you know, racing series participating in the same race weekend. Mm -hmm. And if the current um, precedent, especially in NASCAR, of showing up and racing, no qualifying, no practice, right? So we're taking those, you know, one to two extra days that would normally be a part of a race weekend out of it. Um, you know, so if we're, if we're adding, um, you know, or if we're replacing that racing by bringing in, um, you know, these, um, you know, different racing series, open wheel, um, stock car, you know, dirt in the case of, um, uh, in the case of Indy and the BC 39, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's a tremendous benefit. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll finish it with this, um, you know, talking about all this, um, and having seen what we've seen and, you know, and what we may see going forward in 2021 and, and preceding years, um, it almost takes me back to, you know, the era of, you know, kind of when motorsports um, was, you know, really a, 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 a really free thinking enterprise back yeah. in like the 60s and, and, uh, and early 70s when you would see, you know, different uh, you know, different groups of cars and, and different racers, they, you know, they'd race with anybody. Um, and, you know, we're starting to, to in a way get, go back to that, you know, with the benefit of all the safety improvements and everything of present day. But we're hearkening back to that free thinking state of mind where, hey, let's try putting a, um, an Indy car and a NASCAR race together. And yeah. let's 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 see what happens, and let's let's build the brand of motorsport in America. You know, rising tide lifts all lifts all boats, and you know, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, even before the pandemic, um, you know, both series were were on an upswing, but had you know had fallen a long way. Oh yeah. So certainly. Yeah. So uh, this has been uh, an excellent and spirited spotlight discussion, um, but. We're going to, uh, to take a break, and Ryan's going to tell you about our Facebook group. And then when we come back, the green flag's out. We're going to talk about what's coming next. This is From Checkered to Green. The From Checkered to Green podcast will be right back. Are you enjoying what you're hearing in the podcast? Would you like to keep the conversation going? Join our Facebook group, From Checkered to Green Podcast. Your feedback is what drives the podcast and gives us our content to be generated in every other upcoming episode. Let us know what you think of the discussions on each previous episode, and let us know which topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Anything from race results, business items within the racing world itself, and potentially guests you'd like to see us try to get on the show. And now, back to From Checker to Green Podcast with Elliot Tardiff and David Motti. Welcome back, race fans, to the From Checker to Green Podcast. Well, we are rounding the, the final few turns here. Normally, we have a longer uh, green segment in our episodes with a, with a brief... Um, final thoughts and break in between, but we're going to do a little bit different. We're actually going to end up doing a shorter green segment because we, we have some really good final thoughts to talk about. So in our green segment, 
we've just got a couple few things to talk about. Uh, the first thing is we, we were talking about in our spotlight segment, in our spirited spotlight segment about IndyCar and the doubleheader at IMS. Well, that's not the only event that happens at IMS. And we all know the Indy 500, Memorial Day weekend, you know, great racing action, 33, got, uh, 33 drivers hang towards that first turn in, in you know, definitely uh, looking like, you know, it, almost like bulls hanging in, in Pampelona. I'll put, you know, kind of analogy-like going to that first corner, but it was said months ago they were concerned with the pandemic about IMS and the Indy 500. It was moved to August. Well, with the Brickyard 400 and no fans, were they going to run without fans? And Roger Penske said, we are going to have fans there. And so it came out uh, just recently that IMS has said we are going to limit to 50% capacity for the August 23rd running of the Indy 500. So the Indy 500, the 104th running, still will go on this year as planned, but with reduced capacity. Um, it's going to be 50% capacity. It's something that, according to Wish TV, which is uh, Channel 8 out of Indianapolis. Doug Bowles said um, they're giving fans the option to give up their seat and have priority at next year's race. And with the Indy 500, where you sit, they rank you on seniority. So the really good seats are people who have probably been there for 20-some years. Where I sat, the seniority was newbies to like five years. Some of the other corners, some of the other spots, you, you, you know, people have gone there like 10, 12 years, 25 years. Um, there's been families who have had the same ticket just willed through them um, from since 1911, you know, and on. Um, the, you know, so it's tough to get seats at some, you know, at Indy. Carb Day, you can sit wherever you want. But um, Bulls said he's given up the option. You know, they're given the option, which means some fans who have already bought tickets may not. And he said within, um, within hours of last year's Indy 500, they had um, – they had 175,000 tickets sold within those hours based on renewals, within hours. And you had to like June 17th of last year to renew. Um, I got the notice a couple times. I passed on it this year. Probably will go back down the road. But um, they they said, you know, they're trying to figure out where they're going to sit. They're trying to figure out who's going to give up tickets, who's going to, um, you know, can they, can people get some more tickets? Are they going to give up, you know, maybe split their tickets up. Someone sits one spot, another person sits in another section. It, it, they're all going out. So I'm sure we're going to hear more about this within the next uh, week or so. 
as they as they get things figured out. But they did put a statement out last week um, or a couple weeks ago, and essentially that's what's happening. It's fifty percent capacity. So Indian this year. Elliot, um, I believe you had uh, something about. I believe you had something about a couple of schedule changes, or did you want to comment about IMS before we go into final thoughts? Um, yeah, so um, uh, so we just finished up with IMS this year, um, being uh, Fourth of July weekend, um, and now we see what it does versus uh, you know the. Norm, you know, or the previous 4th of July that came before the firecracker 400 at Daytona. Um, but with that said, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier on in the episode, uh, the schedule for the remainder of the regular season has been released. Um, to be clear, the, uh, the playoffs um, and the, uh, the races in the playoffs um, have remained as they were. Um, there had been no, um, uh, decisions um, and still have not been any decisions about changing or altering any of the uh, the races or race tracks or race dates uh, for any of the the playoff events. Um, but with that said, some of the uh, the uh, notable events here are running Texas Motor Speedway um, uh, the fo- this uh, the following weekend from when we're recording uh, on July 10th. Um, they're running. Uh, next Sunday, the 19th at three o'clock in the afternoon. That is probably going to be one of the hottest races uh, in recent memory um, running in, in Texas uh, at three o'clock in the afternoon. That's, that'll be an interesting one. Um, the, um, and then four days after that, they get to do it all over again in Kansas, um, except this one uh, will be an evening race. It starts at seven 30 um, but that's still a 400 miler uh, coming off of a full 500 miles um, in the Texas heat Sunday the 19th. A um, couple of uh, uh, couple of races at Michigan uh, Saturday and Sunday August 8th and 9th. Um, a, uh, a 300 miler up at uh, Loudon, uh, New Hampshire, with and fans. With fans, and um, you know it'll be interesting to see how many. Um, uh, how many they do decide to allow for that race because that traditionally has been a very well attended race um, at, uh, at at Loudon, New Hampshire. So we'll see what happens there. Um, then we've got uh, the road course August sixteenth. Uh, then after that, a, a couple of three hundred milers at, at Dover, and then we finish out the regular season at Daytona August 29th, Saturday at seven thirty. Um, so uh, as far as um, as Indy goes, I don't think I have any, any, anything else beyond, uh, beyond what I had to say there. Although one other thing to, to note too, we were talking about all the, the updates and the, the changes that they had made. One thing they may need to seriously look at is uh, this diamond grading that they did um, for the surface at Indy. Uh, because there were some, you know, as I talked about during the, the checkered segment, uh, there were some really big hits um, and, you know, there were a lot of people that were having uh, tire issues throughout the day. So uh, maybe that's something that um, uh, Mr. Penske might look into in the coming years uh, as maybe uh, doing something such that uh, the track isn't just eating tires like they're, they're doing right now. 
So um, with that said, uh, I do believe I see the green flag. So um, David, if we want to, uh, to move on to that segment, um, then we can. Well, certainly. Let's talk about let's talk about final thought. We, we've got our final thoughts, and Ryan, I, you know, we appreciate you joining in this discussion as well. The NASCAR Hall of Fame. Elliot, tell us who got in for the class of twenty twenty one. The class of twenty twenty one represents um, the greatest, um, uh, some of the greatest drivers of multiple different eras of NASCAR. Um, Red Farmer has been inducted. Um, Mike Stefanik, um, who is known as one of the greatest racers to have ever come out of the Northeastern United States um, in the, uh, the, the 1990s and early 2000s, um, has been posthumously inducted. And one of the most popular and successful NASCAR racers in the modern era Dale Earnhardt Jr. has also been inducted this year in his first year of eligibility. It's amazing. And I'll start with my final thoughts on that. What a great class. I, I, you know, you follow these every year and um, I want to touch base on, on all three of them. So let's, you know, while we go around, let's share some thoughts on all three of them. And, Let's start with um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. I mean, you know, I, I, I've been a junior fan ever since um, senior passed away. And I, I like junior when he was, I'm going to say it, the Bush series. And, you know, what, what was, you know, was expanding now the Bush series. And I, I think Dale Jr., um, you know, he never won the championship, but he did win the Daytona 500 twice. He won with two different teams. He, um, you know, he, he didn't eclipse many wins. He, he had his struggles. Um, you know, he, he was proactive about his concussion, very open about it. If you read his book um, about his concussion and, and what happened in his final season, um, he, he did say he hated writing it because it was a lot of bad memories. But, I mean, what, you know, what he went through, how he opened up with everything about it, I, I, I think was really good. Um, you know, and from the business standpoint, you know, his – his dad w- was a smart businessman. Um, it's if you look at the merchandise market for NASCAR, Dale Earnhardt created that. He got Jeff Gordon involved in it. Hey, let's race on Sunday. We'll make money during the week selling our merchandise, you know, on the side. And um, he he inherited his dad's business and, and, you know, he has a wonderful sister who helps him, Kelly Earnhardt. Um, she's do, you know, she helps him out. And I, I think that was really good for him to get into that. Um, you know, he, he's always helped out drivers with rides. Um, he's, you know, he, he's, I, I believe he's helped out Jeff Gordon's, 
daughter as well. Um, he's helped his niece out. So I, I, I think definitely deserved. And, you know, you know, he had great racing accomplishments. Um, you know, they weren't what his they didn't stack up to his dad, but Hey, his business standpoint, he's one heck of a car owner, media owner with this 30 mo radio. So I, I, I definitely like that. Um, Elliot, what, what, what's your thoughts with Dale? Um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. has certainly um, uh, been one of the most visible uh, drivers in the modern era, um, you know, in part because of his name, uh, in part because of um, the, uh, the business savvy that, you know, is passed down from, uh, from parents, um, you know, both, uh, uh, both uh, his dad and also Teresa, you know, now a very controversial figure in the sport, um, mm-hmm. But uh, Teresa Earnhardt had a, a big hand also in the evolution of the Earnhardt brand uh, throughout yeah. the 1990s and early 2000s. Um, so, you know, while he has in many ways transcended uh, the sport of NASCAR um, and helped, you know, has, has helped bring it into today's mainstream as his father did, as Jeff Gordon did back in the 1990s, his on-track record, um, speaks for itself as well. Um, consider when he first started in the uh, Xfinity series full-time, when he had no idea he had a, um, a full-time ride coming, um, as he told Joe Rogan in a, a recent uh, Joe Rogan Experience uh, podcast. So he hops into his dad's car, 1998, turns around, wins seven races, finishes in the top five, 16 times, 10, uh, 22 top 10s, wins the championship first season. Yeah. What does he do in, in 1999? Turns around, wins six races, 18 top fives, 22 top tens, another championship. Two for two. What, yeah. what to do next? Move on to NASCAR, 2000, win the Coke 600. Well, no, he won the Winston. He, he won, won the Winston, okay. He won the Winston, but then he won at Texas. His first win was at Texas. Got you. My apologies. Um, but I do believe that I think he won the Coke 600 at some point, didn't he? No, he came close. He, um, the, 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 the sad day for the national guard when Hildebrand crashed off in turn four at Indy and then junior ran out of field that night. Gotcha. Did not represent the national guard. Well, that day. <laughs> well, he didn't that night, but, um, but, but still, he won Daytona twice. Yeah, he won the 500 twice. Yeah. Um, Something had, his dad never did. Yep. Uh, he won uh, 26 times in the Cup Series throughout his career. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in, uh, in so doing, you know, had a number of uh, years where he finished, uh, you know, well up in the points. Uh, he finished third in 2003. Finished fifth have... in two... Go ahead. Uh, it would have won it in all four if it wasn't the slip of the tongue at Dega. Quite possibly, yes. Yeah. Um, and could have very well won it in 2015 as well. Yeah. Um, you know, but for um, uh, some very unfortunate timing uh, in specific races. But, yeah. uh, you know, he was a winner um, and uh, an ambassador to the sport throughout his career and what he has done after his career as well. Um, the body of work. Um, that he has amassed makes him worthy of 
admission into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Yeah. Brian, any thoughts with Junior? When I first heard that he got announced onto the uh, nominee list for the class of 2021, I, like I'm sure you both as well, felt that he probably had a very strong chance of being a first ballot winner. Yeah. But the fact that he got 76% of the vote, I think, is a nice final testament from all the NASCAR fans that he's had an extremely strong, positive effect, not only on NASCAR, but on the sport of racing in general. Well said. Mm-hmm. Now, Stefanik. I, I mean, it, 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 you know, sadly we lost him. One, the, you know, it's it, it's kind of sad that we, we lost him last year to what, um, you know, was was a, um, you know, it was a it, plane it, crash. Yep. It, yeah. uh, you know, two of them, two big names, two of the really, really big names yep. in the Northeast. Um, and and uh, Ted Christopher. Sport. Yep. Ted Christopher. Yep. But, but I mean, I, I would say this: Stefanik would not be in there if it wasn't for Richie Evans getting in. Um, that that, that I, I I I'll be honest. Um, you know, three years to get Richie Evans in there. Um, I'm a little bothered by that. I think mm-hmm. he should have been in the second class um, because Richie Evans paved the way for the Modifieds. Nine championships. He was the one that these drivers like Stefanik, Christopher, um, Ruggiero um, looked up to. I mean, he mm-hmm. raced toe-to-toe with Jeff Bodine, the, the classic Dogwood 500 Evans did. So to see Stefanik in after Cook, um, it, it definitely caps, you know, it, it definitely shows the amount of modified drivers that win. They're a really good racer. Um, it, it's going to pave the way for, I mean, NASCAR as a Southern sport, it's going to pave the way for a bunch of these Northeast guys. Now, um, Bodine hasn't gone in yet, right, Jeff? No. no. Um, when Jeff goes in, I I think you can classify him as a modified driver. He he started out in modifieds. Jeff Lodine did. Um, you know, it's so you know to see the the Northeast modifieds, the modified tour, get recognized. Really great, awesome racer Stefanik. Um, I know one of one of the one of my favorite modified drivers, um, uh, along with uh, Ruggiero, um, I you know th- there's a few other modified drivers I enjoyed, but well deserved. I, I I know, and I hope this paves the way for more guys to get in, and and I I'm glad, and I'm glad they did it the when they did it. I have to agree with you, Dave especially because it really shines that quality light on the really top tier drivers that come out of the modified classes. It shows they got the heart and the soul and the skill to compete with the best of any other class out there. In the 1990s, you couldn't throw a lobster anywhere in the Northeast without hearing about Mike Stefanik and probably about um, the last race he won because Mm -hmm. um, 
he did things in a race car in the Northeast, not only in the Modifieds, um, but was also known as the Bush North series at the time. Yeah, yep. um, I saw him race a couple times at Holland. Yep. And, um, you know, the record that he put together, especially in 1997 and 1998, when he mm-hmm. not only won the, the championships in the Modified series both those years, but he won the championships in the Bush North series both those years as well. So he was not only a very busy racer, but he was also very busy winning and bringing home lots of hardware. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't even think, uh, you know, Ted Christopher, as great as he was, I don't think he can um, he could make that claim. As great as Richie Evans was, I don't think he can make that claim either. Yes, no. Rich, Richie that- Evans has, you know, a, a, a ton of modified championships, um, you know, but Stefanik, um, you know, looking at his um, uh, his page on the NASCAR Hall of Fame site, he's got uh, seven of them, seven modified yeah. championships. Just uh, you know, in in the modified series from 1989 to 2006, um, as well as the two Bush North championships in 1997 yeah. and 1998. Then he turned around and uh, went into the Truck Series in mm-hmm. 1999, and I also believe in uh, in 2000. Um, and you know, he, he, he did okay there. Um, you know, he didn't set the world on fire, but, um, you know, he had a, he was a, a, a solid racer, but, uh, that opportunity didn't last very long. So he, what did he do? He came back home. He came back home to his roots and he continued to drive at a very high level all the way, um, up until, uh, we tragically lost him in 2019. Um, it's been a you know a really rough past few years um, for uh, the Northeastern motorsports community. Um, you know, not only losing uh, Stefanik, but also losing Ted Christopher, uh, both of whom uh, you know we lost way too soon. Um, and you know they hadn't uh, finished you know saying everything that they they could say and wanted to say in a race car. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the body of work that Stefanik left behind um, should have made him a first ballot Hall of Famer immediately. Yeah. Um, and that it, it didn't happen, um, you know, while he was still here um, is a tragedy. Um, but, uh, David, you talk about um, Richie Evans uh, getting inducted, um, and now you bring in Mike Stefanik. Um, yeah. And, and and you got Jerry Cook. You yeah, you have you, Cook. Yeah. You, you, I mean, Cook Evans and Stefanik. Yeah. I mean, I, and I one mean, has to imagine that Ted Christopher isn't far behind either, because yeah, the body Ted, of work that that um, that he left behind, he, he should have a place in Charlotte as well. Yeah. No question. And then Absolutely. you got, and then probably eventually Mike McLaughlin. Yeah. You've got. I mean, you've got a bunch of modified drivers. Actually, the guy who needs to go in there eventually, that's also ran some modified events. And I I don't know if he ever will. Um, Roger Treichler, um, Mm -hmm. he was another big one. I mean, he didn't have the accomplishments as, like, uh, Stefanik, but and Evans and Cook, but he was one of them there. There, yeah. there's a lot of modified drivers that need to eventually go in there. 
I yeah. mean, I, I, I think the next one would, I mean, I'd love to see Christopher, but they need to get Bodine in there. Yeah. Um, get Bodine in there, and you've got a strong northeast core of modified drivers. Yep. Yep. You know, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of people, uh, you know, from, from all over the country, especially in the South that are represented in the hall of fame. Um, you know, but, um, you know, as we've, you know, in, in different ways and forms and fashions have, have, you know, kind of illuminated in the, uh, the first few episodes of, of our, our podcast, um, you know, don't sleep on racers from the Northeast because, um, you know, the, the body of work that, um, that some of these races left behind, um, you know, can be put up with, with anybody from around the country and, you know, would still stand up well. Stefanik is definitely one of them. This is well-deserved. Um, and you know, it's a shame he wasn't here to, to be a part of this in person. And, and one one person that will be part of it, the other um, part of the trio, Red Farmer, who still race in late miles and he's in his eighties. Yep. Wow. I you know, I you know, you're I he should he should weigh in sooner. I mean, he part of the Alabama gang with with the Allisons and Bonnet and you know the you know the you know he's still out there he's racing with his grandson um you know he he still gets in a dirt late mile runs it at Talladega at the dirt track down there you know most most drivers in their 80s have retired and and he's just He's like the Energizer Bunny, and he he just keeps going and going and going, and you know, well deserved for him. And you know, it, it you know, that's uh, you know, they they got more of the Alabama gang in there, which is is really good. That's that. I mean, we, we talk about the modified the Northeast modified group. Well, you had the Alabama gang, you had Bonnet, you have. Um, Bobby Ellison, Davy Ellison, Red Farmer, and we we could have tried. I mean, you think about when Davy Ellison passed away, we could have lost Red Farmer there. He was in that helicopter, and and there was Angel on his side that day. Um, and you know, I'm I, I'm really glad he's still going and well deserved for him. Um, Absolutely. Yep. Uh, you know, Red Farmer. He's he's an OG. Um, he really is. Um, you know, he's he's been around the sport from its very genesis. Um, you know, looking at his um, uh, his body of work, he won uh, a modified title in 1956. Uh, he won the late model sportsman uh, championships three years in a row from mm-hmm. 69 to 71. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, he stayed true to his roots and, you know, even, you know, as, as, uh, as far along as he is, you know, you'll, you will find him every, uh, you know, every race weekend, uh, out with his race car and doing what he, he does best and doing what he loves. And, 
you know, for the, the body of work that he has as well. Um, and, you know, representing, uh, you know, the great state of Alabama and the Alabama gang um, and being one of the forerunners of that group. Um, you know, this is a, an honor that's well-deserved. Very well. Uh, Ryan, any thoughts? I personally, you know, just seeing one of those longtime legends, one of the few that are actually still around, finally getting their just place in the Hall of Fame, it does the heart good. Yep. Indeed. So, well, I, I wish we could go much longer, but you know what? We had a great episode here, a, a great run with with what we talked about from NASCAR to IndyCar to the World of Outlaws and a, a great discussion with the Hall of Fame. That's going to wrap up our, our podcast for the evening. Our next episode, we're actually going to get into a discussion. Um, there, there's some controversy going on in Formula One, Vettel and Ferrari. Um, Vettel losing the ride. We're going to talk about that. And a 39-year-old Fernando Alonso returning back to Formula One with Renault. We're going to we're, that just broke, so we're going to talk about that in our next episode. Um, but before we close out, um, we have some heavy hearts right now in the racing community, um, not just with the COVID outbreak, but a couple of the fellow racers out there have had um, have had some bad breaks. Um, the first off, the World of Outlaw driver Mark um, Dobmeyer, um, who drove the number 13 Buffalo Wild Wings sprint car, was injured um, last week at Cedar Lake Race, uh, Cedar Lake Speedway during the World of Outlaws NAS Energy Sprint Car Series. He was hurt in the third heat race. Um, he had a really bad crash, and I had saw it online that he was taken to the hospital. We didn't know anything, and it come, it has come out that he had, um, he had back surgery. It was a back injury. Um, his L four vertebrae shattered, and his L three vertebrae was fractured. So. Um, he's on the men's. Um, he, he thanks the prayers that are coming. So we, we kind of want to send our thoughts out to him in his recovery and um, hopefully to see him. He had a big win in Knoxville in 2011 um, during the Knoxville National. So, you know, per, you know, our thoughts are out to him. And then um, Alex Zanardi, um, if 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 any of you've heard this or, or are familiar about this, I know Elliot and I are familiar about this with him. Um, in in two thousand one, he's the IndyCar driver that was in Germany, and if you read Doctor Steve Ove's book about uh, rapid response, um, he talks about this and what they did to save him. He lost both of his legs. Um, in an accident and, and they saved him right on the spot and he had a long recovery. I believe Elliot, he ran Indy. I think he did get into the Indy 500 or he was going to try it. 
Um, he's ran sports car with a handbrake um, yep. and, and a hand steering. And um, he he's done a lot of Paralympic events. And he was doing a hand bike race and had an accident with the car. And is, as, as, as last I known, has gone through three surgeries and is in a medically induced coma. So um, our, our thoughts are with him as well for recovery and that he can overcome this. So I, I, I just wanted to mention that in the closing as part of our, um, you know, we're, we're racing fans and, and we stick by each other. You know, no matter who we are, we stick by each other in, in good and in bad times. And and when, when the going gets tough, we come together, which here, we here. have. Here, here. So we appreciate it. Um, Ryan, Elliot, any, any closing remarks? Well, nope, I think uh, you wrapped it up quite amicably, sir. Yep. Uh, right. The green flag's out. It's time to go racing. We'll catch you guys on the flip side. Catch you on the next round. Thanks for listening to the Checkered to Green podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook group, Checkered to Green podcast. Tune in next time for more insight into the racing business with the Checkered to Green podcast. (laughs) 